Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Any moment, we expect President Trump to visit the epicenter for tackling the coronavirus outbreak in the United States. The lead starts right now. President Trump about to get an update from experts, as sources tell CNN. He's also getting conflicting information from friends, which might explain why presidential advisor Kellyanne Conway today inaccurately claimed the outbreak is contained. It is not contained. An urgent call for more coronavirus tests as the number of cases grows by the hour. When will they arrive? Our Dr. Sanjay Gupta is getting answers. Plus, the battle begins. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders taking to Twitter and the airwaves, hoping their voting records change voters' minds come Tuesday. Any minute, President Trump will tour the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta amid the deadly coronavirus outbreak in the United States. It's a visit that seemed like it might not happen. The White House initially said the trip had been canceled because President Trump did not want to interfere with the important work of the CDC. And then, of course, President Trump contradicted his own White House and said the trip was squashed because a CDC employee might have been infected with the virus. But the test came back negative. So the visit was back on. The mixed messages are a continuing theme for the Trump administration, whose political folks motivated, it seems entirely by the desire to project the image of the president on top of the crisis. The political folks keep falsely saying that the virus has been contained. It has not. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, even as health officials acknowledge that the virus is spreading, the death toll is rising, and the U.S. does not have enough testing kits to get a real handle on just how many Americans are infected. After a chaos-filled morning at the White House, President Trump will visit the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention today after all. Thank you. The confusion started late last night after Vice President Pence said Trump would sign the coronavirus funding bill at their headquarters today. President Trump is expected to sign the legislation tomorrow as he visits the CDC in Atlanta. But then the trip disappeared from his schedule and the White House gave conflicting explanations for why. At first, an official said the president wasn't going because he didn't want to interfere with their mission to protect the health and welfare of their people and the agency. But after signing the funding bill at the White House this morning, Trump was asked about the cancellation. They thought there was a problem uh, at CDC with somebody that had the virus. Because of the one person, they didn't want me going. The president said the test results came back negative. So uh, I may be going. Shortly after Air Force One took off for Nashville, where Trump later toured storm damage, the White House said the CDC trip was back on. Since the coronavirus outbreak, the president has been on a different page than health officials at the CDC. Today, CNN reported some aides are concerned he's getting conflicting information. Some that's accurate and some that paints a rosier and less accurate picture than the experts have. The 14 deaths so far that are completely tragic and very sad in this country um, shows that this has been contained. 
Airlines are one of the industries hardest hit by the outbreak. But Trump says travelers scrapping their plans could be a good thing. We're going to have Americans staying home instead of going and spending their money in other countries. And maybe that's one of the reasons the job numbers are so good. Now, Jake, as the president has been getting this conflicting information, the vice president has been briefing him up to four or five times a day on the top lines and the latest here, as these officials are really just trying to keep the president on message with everybody else. All right, Caitlin Collins with the White House, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all this uh, with our uh, panel. Um, Caitlin just reported President Trump sometimes uh, giving, getting conflicting information, sometimes sharing conflicting information. Mm -hmm. um, there's a real risk for him here because... The, the virus has not been contained. It's clearly spreading. We don't even know how many people might have it because the testing kits are insufficient, how many there are. And yet his political people and he seem inclined to share the silver linings of all this, which are in many cases false. Right. The president has been tweeting that there have been very few deaths trying to highlight that, although we aren't even sure uh, how many people, as you mentioned, could potentially have contracted this because the reports coming out of California are a bit frightening since we've seen the L.A. Times report as, other, uh, as well as other outlets that those testing kits are insufficient. They don't even have enough kits on Capitol Hill right now, and there's a potential that lawmakers there have been exposed, and, and we didn't really get much details coming out of the classified briefing that Hill uh, lawmakers had earlier this week. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. Alexi, take a listen to Larry Kudlow uh, talking to CNBC earlier today. Frankly, so far, it looks relatively contained, and we don't think most people, I mean, the vast majority of Americans are not at risk for this virus. I mean, yeah, it's true, the vast majority of Americans are not at risk of dying of this virus, but the idea that it's relatively contained, we don't know that. Right. I mean, there's a lot that we don't know. And I think that there is an incentive for the White House and the administration not to cause mass hysteria. We've already sure. seen the ways in which people are buying hand sanitizer and antibacterial soap off the shelves. But people need correct information, especially at a time when, you know, there's a company News Whip that provided data to Axios about the online flow of information around coronavirus. The majority of the stories that are being shared and read by folks are coming from not reputable sources who are sharing misinformation about the coronavirus that is really inspired to or designed to inspire fear and panic in people. And so if you're reading these things online and then hearing something like Larry, someone like Larry Kudlow saying, you know, there's not a lot to worry about. I'm worried that people aren't going to be protecting themselves in the way that they are, especially when we see the way in which President Trump is contradicting his own staff and his public statements about his own movements. Yeah, and we've heard health officials say a couple weeks ago, there's that health official uh, who said that it had not been contained. Containment was a bad strategy and it was going to be spreading. Uh, she's basically been silenced. We haven't seen her since then. Yeah, I think you just can't overestimate how irresponsible it is to say the vast majority of Americans are not at risk. That is true. But if you just take that as, well, I'm fine, I'm a healthy, you know, 35 or 45-year-old or something like that. But if you then come into contact with a not-so-healthy 35 or 45-year-old or your 75-year-old mother or father, you are putting that person at risk. So the message has to be, be careful, err on the side of caution. Not alarmist, but it's, it's one thing for all of us, people can pop off however they want. But these are senior government officials in the White House saying things that really are fundamentally irresponsible and dangerous. And I guess, look, we all understand, as Alexi said, we all understand the idea of not wanting people to panic. And that's that's responsible. But there's also an importance about sharing correct, accurate information. Take a listen to President Trump today talking about the cases in the U.S. Our numbers are lower than just about anybody. And 
In terms of deaths, I don't know what the count is today. Is it 11? 11 people. And in terms of cases, it's very, very few. When you look at other countries, it's... Do you think that he's doing this so that people don't panic? Or do you think he's doing that because he wants to look good as president? I... I... I'm not sure exactly why he's doing it, but I think actually one of the biggest scandals is the amount of test, the lack of testing that there is. And I think that in a moment of crisis, America isn't able to actually give out testing in the cases that other countries in the world are. They're not able to, we're not able to actually produce stuff and function in a moment of crisis. And I think that is the biggest thing that I think the Trump administration is also worried about. And we should be, as the richest country on earth, we should not be having shortages on testing kits. We should not be having shortages on hospital beds and seeing other countries like South Korea, Taiwan, Japan be able to respond to this moment when we, as the richest nation on earth, aren't able to do that, I think is really embarrassing for this administration. And Dr. Sanjay Gupta is going to be with us in the next panel to talk about uh, what's really going on with the testing kits. Just one more point. I mean, why national leadership is so important. I was talking with someone in organizations trying to decide whether to cancel a conference next week. And, you know, no one wants to look like well, we're just wimped out. We've just canceled something. It'll be a fun conference unnecessarily. But it probably is the right thing to do. You've got 300 people flying in from all over the country. You don't know who they've been exposed to. Several of the people coming to the conference are not so young. That's how things spread. Right. And what you need, this is where you need federal leadership to say, you know what, as a, uh, maybe it's an abundance of caution, but as a matter of prudence and caution, people who have conferences that aren't absolutely necessary should postpone them or cancel them or do them by video conference or whatever. If, if the president says that or if it's very senior administration official says that, then an awful lot of businesses and universities and others say, you know what, we're, we're, now we, it's easier for us to do the right thing. Donald Trump is making it harder for people in the private sector, people in local state governments, people in universities to do what they kind of think now, my sense is, is the right thing. And so that's where the real, it's not just Trump being foolish or, you know, silly. He actually is doing damage. I think. And he's also, Alexei, he's yeah. talking about President Trump said, oh, we expect a vaccine in a few months. And Dr. Fauci, uh, who's, you know, the head of, of the infectious diseases part of the, of the federal <laughs> government as health care, uh, says, no, no, a year to a year and a half. Uh, and right. Trump will say, no, it's a few months, a few months. Right. Fauci, no, a year or a year and a half. I mean, he's not even listening to people right like next to him. Yeah, well, that's Trump being Trump. And I'm not making light of the situation, but this follows the exact pattern of behavior we've seen from the president since he was running for office in 2016. The facts rarely, if ever, help Donald Trump's case. And he knows that. And he doesn't rely on the facts to tell a narrative about anything, whether that's health care and prescription drugs, immigration, birtherism with Obama, this situation, the facts do not help him. So he tells a narrative in a way that he thinks is more compelling to people's emotions often than it is to their their minds. Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about what is the coronavirus test? How does it work? Why is it taking so long to manufacture and then distribute enough test kits? We'll have some answers next. Plus, new warnings for a large group of the population, what they should and should not be doing. Stay with us. We're back and sticking with the health lead. A top U.S. health official says that millions of testing kits are urgently needed for the Trump administration to finally get a full handle on the size and scope of the novel coronavirus outbreak. But as CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, reports for us now, despite ramping up production, there remains a massive nationwide shortage. We're going to need millions and millions and millions of tests. Problem is, more than a month after the first patient was diagnosed in the United States... We still don't have nearly enough tests. According to our review of CDC reports, only around 1,500 people have been tested, total. It's a big difference from other countries like South Korea, 
where nearly 160,000 people have been tested, even in the drive-thru. And in the UK, more than 20,000 people. It's basic surveillance. And in the United States, that lack of testing has led to a lack of planning. It's very important that there's an aggressive approach in the beginning, that you look for all of those cases, um, because as case numbers increase, systems become overwhelmed. Um, and so as much as can be done in the early stages of this, the better chance you have to delay and to reduce and suppress transmission. The test itself is similar to one done for the flu, a swab from the nose or the throat. The culture is then sent to a lab to see if there are any genetic traces of coronavirus. Takes about six hours. So what happened here? Many point to two issues. The initial test kits sent to state and county labs were defective. And then the initial CDC criteria limited testing only to those who had traveled to areas impacted by the epidemic or been around someone who had tested positive. That greatly limited the number of people who qualified to get a test. On Thursday, the vice president publicly acknowledged the U.S. effort is behind. We don't have enough tests today uh, to meet uh, what we anticipate will be the demand going forward. And even Dr. Anthony Fauci is making no promises that the problem will be fixed anytime soon. It got off to a slow start. There were some missteps. With Up to this point, there has been a lag in the ability to get tested. And Dr. Sanjay Gupta joins us now. Um, Sanjay, health officials in states and cities are, are really sounding the alarm that they lack the capacity for mass diagnosis and the virus is spreading. Mm. What, what's taking so long right now to get these test kits produced and out the door? I, I think that we uh, started late. I mean, Jake, you know, I think there was a I think there was a little bit of a lack of urgency uh, on, on this issue. There were some specific things, you know, the first kits that were sent out to these point of care locations, POC locations. Some of them were defective, as you as we mentioned, that the criteria for testing was probably too narrow. But I really sense and I think Dr. Fauci he's very careful with his words. But he was whispering into the ears of people at CDC saying, hey, you know, we need to expand the criteria. We need to get this testing out. And there wasn't a lack of urgency. So now you're seeing catch up, essentially, trying to get state hospitals, uh, university hospitals and also big organizations like LabCorp, you know, a major testing organization, uh, organization verified to be able to do these tests. So hopefully it'll happen. But but it's taken a long time. You're right. Uh, and, and Sanjay, the vice president, uh, Mike Pence, suggested this week that uh, anybody who wants to be tested should be able to. Um, do you agree with that as a medical professional? Should anyone who wants to be able to be tested? I, I think we've got to be a little bit careful there. I mean, I, I sense that there's obviously a lot of people who are worried about this. But, but I think, uh, you know, the idea that, that everyone should immediately go to the emergency room or their doctor's office if they have uh, the sniffles or, or minor symptoms, I think, is probably not a good idea. A couple of reasons. One is they could, you know, take that vi- whatever virus they have and infect other people. But also, I think a lot of doctors are still going to want to say, look, is this the cold or is this the flu first? Because those are still much more likely to be the, the cause of symptoms. If those things come back negative, then test for the coronavirus. I think that's how it's going to play out among a lot of doctors. Uh, and Sanjay, I assume if more testing is done, uh, that would affect uh, this fatality ratio we've heard from the World Health Organization of 3.4 percent. Y- yes, Jake. And this is really interesting because I, I actually crunched the numbers myself overnight. Uh, South Korea, uh, close to 160,000 tests. They've had about 6,000 or so people who have, te- who have been confirmed as positive and some 46 deaths roughly. 
If you do the math, that's about a 0.6% fatality ratio. Now, that's still significantly higher than the flu, which is 0.1%. And I don't want to get too wrapped up in the numbers because as you and I have talked about, Jake, these numbers are going to continue to change. But yes, 0.6%, a lot lower than the 3.4% global rate that we're hearing. That's South Korea that's done some of the most, uh, you know, some of the most uh, robust testing. And and Sanjay, there's been a lot of talk about a possible vaccine. Dr. Fauci has said it could take a year, year and a half uh, to to come up with it. Um, So what happens between now and then and between a year and a half from now? Well, you know, and the reason it takes so long, again, as you know, Jake, there's a bunch of candidates for vaccine, a bunch of uh, laboratories who say we think we have it. It Seems to work well in the lab. They got to test it, you know, and those trials just take time. What's interesting, I talked to some of the doctors at University of Nebraska last night. They, they've been doing uh, work on all sorts of infectious disease outbreaks, including Ebola and now coronavirus. They're working on uh, looking at antiviral therapeutics. So it's not a vaccine, but think of that more like an antibiotic for, uh, in, in this case, a virus. You don't, antibiotics treat bacterial infections. The equivalent would be an antiviral. And there are a few an- existing antiviral medications that they're now looking at and starting to trial against coronavirus. If those show promise, that could come back much sooner, Jake, sometime over the summer or early fall. Again, we got to wait a little bit of time, but sooner than the, uh, than the vaccine. A treatment, but not a vaccine. Dr. That's Sanjay correct. Gupta, thank you so much. Appreciate it. A new warning about the novel coronavirus for anyone of a certain age. What experts now say those individuals should not be doing. Stay with us. Continuing our health lead today, top health experts are asking anyone over the age of 60 or with weak immune systems to think twice about engaging in usual activities such as traveling on airplanes or being in large crowds or attending family events as the novel coronavirus continues to spread across the country. And as CNN's Nick Watt reports for us now, tens of thousands of Americans remain stuck in limbo, not knowing if they have the virus while remaining under quarantine at home or on cruise ships or in nursing homes. On board board the Grand Grand Princess cruise ship Uncertainty and Fear. How many, if any, passengers are positive? The testing continues. At least five from the ship's last leg of its voyage caught the virus. One died. He was around a lot of us on the cruise up on the 14th deck where we all kind of lounged and hung out. It's an older crowd and that demo is hardest hit. And 15% case fatality rates. In Washington state, where at least seven deaths are now tied to this nursing home, there's grief, fear, and now confusion. Pat Herrick's mum among the dead. I want her body tested. And I've been told, well, we don't do that. You know, we just have to assume that it's natural causes. And so I'm saying... That's not okay. I need to have her tested for the larger picture. The University of Washington just announced no more classes on campus. The North Shore School District already shut down. At least 80,000 students in the Seattle area are now being kept home. They said up to 14 days they might be closed. Are you concerned that, you know, the virus is going to get inside your home and that you and all your kids might be infected? Uh, Yes. My middle son has asthma, so it's mild asthma, but that's a big concern, too, because I hear it's really what it's going for is the lungs. The number of confirmed cases across the country climbing at nearly three per hour in just over the past day. 
In Connecticut, Emma, just back from Italy, where nearly 200 have died, is in self-quarantine, just in case. I've been allowed to, like, pet my dog every once in a while, but it's pretty lonely. In New York State right now, more than 4,000 in a similar situation. This is like a flu on steroids. Eleven new cases in the state announced today, all connected to contact with one man who's right now being treated in a Manhattan hospital. And I just want to go back to that cruise ship off San Francisco for a moment. We were told by the cruise line under 100 people were identified for testing. Uh, We just heard from the ship no results back yet. So under 100 being tested, but there are around 3,500 people on that boat and it's scheduled to dock tomorrow and let's not forget the lessons learned from that other cruise ship the diamond princess quarantined off japan for a couple of weeks aboard that ship 700 plus people tested positive for this coronavirus jake all right nick Watt, thanks so much joining me now is the chief of disaster and operational medicine at george washington university hospital dr james phillips uh, dr phillips let's just start with the basic question if you have If you're uh, an older person watching the show from a nursing home or if you're somebody about our age uh, who has parents in a nursing home, should they leave? Should you get them out of there? That's a that's a great question. I know nursing homes are a big concern and they're a big concern to us as physicians, too. These are the places where we have large congregations of people of advanced age and often serious illness and even younger people with very serious illnesses. And I think it's clear that these these areas are very vulnerable and our Government is putting out plans for that right now on how to try to address that. But visitation in nursing homes is certainly something that needs to be called. And um, the idea of bringing people home from the nursing home is a little bit more difficult. Sometimes people go to recover from a a knee operation or something along those lines Mm -hmm. that doesn't require full-time care from from nursing staff and the nurse technicians that are there. That's That's a reasonable idea. Talk to the doctor. If they can go home, that may not be a bad idea. But as far as the other folks there that are very vulnerable and need full-time care, I don't know what options there are other than to try to prevent virus from getting in the building. We hear about, anecdotally, people coming from places where there is a large infection, such as parts of Italy or China or or South Korea, coming into airports. Uh, Anecdotally, I saw one reporter talking about this and just walking through. Nobody there asking them uh, if they have a fever, no, no screening at all. Are you surprised that at this point in this infection, that's still what's going on? Not so much. Uh, When I first had an opportunity to come on, I made a bold statement that this is a pandemic. There is community spread in countries all over the world. We have virus in at least 60 countries in the world. And we need to start switching from a containment mindset to a mindset of hardening our healthcare infrastructure, protecting patients, and protecting healthcare workers. And that needs to be our primary focus. And there's all this talk of blame and people taking victory laps for things that have been done. But in disaster medicine, our whole goal is to wait until the end. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do something called an after-action report where we take a look back at everything that's happened, and that's when we start to figure out what we can do better next time, what we call lessons learned. And when people, when you hear health experts, top health experts saying, if you're older, over 60, which is, you know, I'm almost 51. Yeah, my parents, right? Yeah, well, no, I'm talking about me. <laughs> so if you're over 60, you should con- reconsider uh, not engaging in certain activities such as being on planes uh, or being in large crowds. Um, is that too extreme a caution? I don't think so at this point. What we know is that there's a virus out there that's infecting a lot of people, and we don't have a vaccine or antivirals. The best things that we can do right now while we're waiting for those things to hopefully come about is to protect ourselves. 
And every citizen in America and every citizen in the world has a responsibility to themselves and to their fellow man right now. It sounds preposterous, but we're all in this together. And social distancing has been proven to prevent the transmission of viruses. We do it anytime there's a flu outbreak or something along those lines. We always suggest it. Um, my parents are over 60. I talk to them every night, and they're anxious. They have the ability to stay home back in sort of rural Oklahoma where we're from, mm-hmm. but not everybody has that opportunity. We're canceling conferences all over the country. I was supposed to travel to Central Michigan University this week for a, for a talk I was going to give, but we canceled it at the advice of our leadership because we need to protect our healthcare workers and keep them from the risks of getting this virus. So avoid crowds, avoid travel. What else should people over the age of 60 be doing? So this is, a, this is an important point that I, that I want to make, that um, we're not hopeless. And people that are at home and anxious about this, you're not helpless and there's things you can do. You can start maximizing your own existing health right now. Start walking, exercising, take your medicines, take your insulin. Improve your baseline health to the best it can be mm-hmm. in case you do get sick. And that might prevent you from going over that razor's edge into someone who gets really sick. And also sick. wash your hands a lot, Absolutely. all the time. Absolutely. Dr. James Phelps, thanks so much. Appreciate it. The market's capping a roller coaster week with yet another drop. What will it take to ease investors' fears? That story next. In our money lead today, a tumultuous week on Wall Street, the Dow closing down this hour at 256 points as the coronavirus continues to threaten the U.S. economy. And as spring approaches, all the industries that would theoretically make a ton of cash are really hurting tourism, airlines. This is going to have far-reaching effects. CNN's Allison Kozik is at the New York Stock Exchange. Allison, what's the impact uh, this is going to have on these industries? Exactly. Industries across the board, Jake, are already feeling the impact of the coronavirus. More people staying home, fewer taking vacations or flying on planes, and fewer taking cruises. It all really comes down to money and jobs and the ripple effects from that. So if the revenue isn't coming in, those industries could shed jobs or hire less, which could then impact the broader economy. You look at the travel and tourism industries, they're actually facing their worst crisis since the terror attacks of 2001, from hotels like Hyatt and Marriott to cruise cruise lines to the airline industry, there's now talk of hiring freezes and the need for financial assistance. Things are so grim with the airline industry, which has cut flights because fewer people are out there flying. They've actually asked for help from the Trump administration because they don't want to end up like the cruise industry, which is really getting hammered, not just with fewer bookings, but those cruise stocks, too. We're looking at carnival shares down 46 percent this year. Royal Caribbean down 51 percent this year. Jake. All right. Uh, thanks so much, Alison Kozik. Appreciate it. Joining us now, Rana Faruhar, CNN's global economic analyst. And Rana, uh, more and more companies are, are dropping out of conferences or events around the world. That, of course, then causes flights to get canceled. That impacts m- markets. This seems rather cyclical. Um, Well, you know, I would actually say it's not just cyclical, it's going to be structural. Um, The fact that you need to know here is that the U.S. economy is two-thirds consumer spending. So think about that. If people are staying home, businesses of all kinds, not just travel, not just retail, not just food services, but all businesses are suffering. Um, This is a big deal. I mean, the, the professional investors, the economists that I talk to regularly are now pricing in nearly a 50-50% chance of a, of a recession in 2020. So um, this, is, this is something that's going to be with us for weeks and months. We don't know where we are. I don't think we're going to know where we are really until the summer, but it's going to be serious. If people are staying home from school and not traveling, not going to sporting events, not going to concerts, not going to work, what are the economic consequences, not just in the short term, but long term, uh, even beyond 2020? 
Yeah, well, you know, the, the tricky thing here, we've seen the markets fall across the board, right? And the markets are falling because of the risks of people not spending, staying home. But what happens even after the virus comes, um, you know, co co comes into control, we know where we are, do markets come back up? A lot of participants think that they won't. You know, the Federal Reserve has been keeping rates low and pouring money on the markets for 10 years now. So that now that we're really in a crisis, a lot of people feel like, hey, we don't have the firepower to really pull things back. I think that we're not going to know, maybe even until after the November elections, what the longer term trajectory of the market is going to be. Um, I personally am bracing for, uh, you know, <laughs> up and down, almost a W shape over the next few weeks and months. Um, now, whether we see something uh, more permanently down after that is going to depend a lot on uh, how many people get sick, how the government handles it, and what the central banks and hopefully the government can do to bolster um, uh, the economy at this moment. Speaking of the government, um, I want you to take a listen to President Trump trying to look at a silver lining of all these canceled travel and trips. Take a listen. We're going to have Americans staying home instead of going and spending their money in other countries. And maybe that's one of the reasons the job numbers are so good. Does that make any economic sense, what he just said? Uh, it makes zero sense, Jake. I'm going to go back to that statistic. Two-thirds of the U.S. economy is consumer spending. That's consumer spending here at home. When people don't go out and they don't spend, companies do badly, the economy does badly. By the way, those relatively robust job jobs numbers that came out this morning, about half of those are in low-wage work like restaurants. Um, anybody going to be going out to restaurants in the near-term future um, more than they did in the past? I doubt it. You know, I, I think that we are in for a very, very serious period right now. All right, Rana Farouhar, thank you so much. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Senator Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden getting personal in their attacks as they try to gain the edge before another round of critical primaries. Stay with us. President Trump right now wearing one of his re-election campaign hats is uh, at the Centers for Disease Control. We will, uh, if there's any news made there, we will bring that to you. But in the meantime, it looks pretty much just like a photo app, again, wearing a campaign hat. In our 2020 lead, Senator Bernie Sanders this afternoon previewing his strategy to try to stop Joe Biden's momentum. All I can tell you, whether it was Iraq, whether it was Doma, whether it's don't ask, don't tell, those were difficult votes. I was there on the right side of history, and my friend Joe Biden was not. It's a strategy that, in addition to contrasting their records, includes Sanders changing up his campaign schedule. He canceled the trip to Mississippi and instead is heading to Michigan after Biden scored a series of high-profile endorsements in the state, as CNN's Jessica Dean reports for us now. Sanders is hoping he can recapture some of the populist energy that helped him win that crucial battleground in the 2016 Democratic primaries. For 2020 Democrats, it's now effectively a two-man race. Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders looking ahead to the next round of Super Tuesday voting and its biggest prize, Michigan. Sanders canceled his planned event in Mississippi to turn his focus to Michigan, where he's added additional events and will hold a rally tonight in Detroit. I can't be in, in uh, six states at the same time, so Michigan is where we'll spend a bit of our time. I think we're going to be... Uh, certainly uh, in Arizona, uh, we will be elsewhere as well. But it's just a question of having to make uh, decisions. Biden continues to rack up key endorsements that now include Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and her lieutenant governor. He's shown up over the years for the auto industry. He has been a friend of this community. The endorsement both Sanders and Biden want, Senator Elizabeth Warren's. She said Thursday night she wants some time to make a decision. I'll get up tomorrow morning and start thinking about that question. But Sanders isn't waiting. 
encouraging Warren's voters to back his campaign. I think they will find many of the issues that Senator Warren campaigned on are exactly the issues that we are fighting for. With the Democratic field narrow, Sanders and Biden now drawing sharper contrasts. The two candidates sparring over Social Security on Twitter and on the airwaves. Well, we've got some bad news for them. We are not going to cut Social Security. Joe Biden has always been a strong supporter of Social Security. Negative ads will only help Donald Trump. It's time we bring our party together. Sanders narrowly won Michigan back in 2016, and he's got a lot of focus there this weekend with a number of events, as we mentioned there. Joe Biden will head to Missouri and Mississippi, Jake, before heading to Michigan next week. All right, Jessica Dean, thanks so much. Let's chew over all this. And, and let me ask you, uh, Alexander, you, you are a supporter of Senator Biden. I'm sorry, Senator uh, Sanders. How personal do you expect it to get between Sanders and Biden, given the fact that, you know, it's going to be one of them. It's very tight. It could be either one, but... There has to be unity at the end for the Democrats to have any chance of defeating Trump. I think that we all have said from the very beginning, including Senator Sanders, that no matter what, the we are dedicated to defeating Donald Trump. So I think that question should be asked across the board. Of course. But this is a Democratic primary, right? And I think that Bernie Sanders... Uh, to the, you know, of what we've been saying has to pivot a little bit. And so this is aiming at older voters. They're both going after that demographic. And I think that it is an extremely big vulnerability of the vice president to have uh, in his past repeated times trying to cut Social Security or willing to say work with Republicans to do that. And I think that that politics of the past right now uh, is very reminiscent of 2016, especially heading into play, uh, states like Michigan, where uh, not just Social Security is going to be an issue, but also trade. Right. There's a lot of union households there. So yeah. I think that he's going to have to make the case just like everybody else. What is the best, strongest contrast to Donald Trump here? And right now, I don't think that's Joe Biden. And, and the Sanders campaign is making this case. They're saying, hey, uh, President Trump yesterday talked about uh, making cuts to reduce the deficit. Joe Biden's on that same page, too. And they uh, have been pushing this 2007 clip of Biden's own words saying this. One of the things that my, you know, the, the political advisors say to me is, whoa, don't touch that third. Look, American people aren't stupid. It's a real simple proposition. Social Security is not the hard one to solve. Medicare, that is the gorilla in the room. And you've got to put all of it on the table. His words. I think in a normal year, uh, finding a damning or damning from the point of view of the primary voters uh, clip or vote from 10 years before or 30 years before, and there are many for both Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, I would say, depending on your point of view, it can be an effective campaign tactic. And I don't, it's not unreasonable for Sanders to try this. I just think this is a very different year. I've looked at some of the focus groups, a couple of focus groups and read a lot of verbatims from people who got text messages urging them to vote. And the attitude isn't sort of we want to punish someone for being wrong 12 years ago. It's we want to defeat Trump. Who can best defeat Trump? Mm. Who can get the most voters and who can restore normalcy? And I think that's probably a majority of the party. 30, 40 percent of the party wants some kind of fundamental change in our economic system. But I don't think that kind of attack really speaks. Voters can say, you're right. I wish Joe hadn't said that 12 years ago. But you know what? He can beat Trump. So that's OK. So there are six states that are voting this Tuesday, Alexi, uh, including Washington, Idaho, North Dakota, Missouri, Mississippi, and the biggest prize of the night, Michigan. The Biden campaign's confident they're going to do well. They scored endorsements from both the current governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and former governor, uh, Jennifer Granholm. Sanders is campaigning there tonight. It's a state he won in 2016. And, and uh, as Alexandra noted, uh, trade is a big issue there. And Biden arguably on the quote unquote wrong side of that issue. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, that's certainly something Senator Sanders has been pushing for at least a week now. Biden's record on trade and saying that Americans won't decide he's or will decide he's not the best position to beat Trump because of his record on trade. But I, I think right now, to Bill's point, it's just really not an election where I feel like past in my conversations with voters where I feel like these past positions are going to really affect the way people feel. There is a firm camp behind Senator Sanders who really believes in the value and having a consistent record, and that is part of why they love Bernie Sanders. The people who love Joe Biden, the voters that I talk to, you don't hear a lot about inconsistencies in his record as being an issue. When you ask them what they're concerned about with Joe Biden, it's, well, sometimes he makes these gaffes, or he doesn't always know what he's saying, or he gets his facts and figures wrong. They don't go to his record. <laughs> Little things like that. Right, to them, yeah. <laughs> but they don't go to his record. They yeah. go to that, or they go to his relationship with Obama. And it's not to say that people won't care or, or feel like they can't trust Joe Biden because of the way he's evolved, but there are just these two camps, and the way that these voters think are, is totally different. And then, of course, there's Elizabeth Warren, uh, and she told the Boston Globe, why would I owe anybody an endorsement? Is that a question they asked everybody else who dropped out of this race? Do you think there's a chance that Warren just doesn't endorse? I think that's a very real chance. Uh, I think that Warren is weighing multiple options. She's weighing not endorsing. She's weighing endorsing Sanders, and she's also weighing endorsing Biden. And, and really? Yeah, that's something that Politico has reported that we've heard from from sources close to her. And so uh, there's a question about whether Warren decides that she wants to jump in and get behind Sanders when right now, yes, Sanders could pull off a win in Michigan, but Biden is favored. He's also favored going in to states like Arizona and Florida, despite their Latino populations. So that's a big question for her about whether or not she just wants to rush into this or hold her fire and use her leverage. Obviously, she agrees with Sanders on more issues yes. than she does with Biden. Uh, thanks so much, everyone. Right now, President Trump is touring the CDC, hearing about the coronavirus test. Stick around. No, they had to send it here because that's how we started. President Trump right now is touring the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, visiting the lab that makes the materials for the coronavirus tests. One official telling the president they have enough test kits for 75,000 people and they're preparing to ship a million. President Trump says the testing has been amazing, though administration officials concede they do not have enough test kits. Plus, we've also just learned the South by Southwest Festival was just canceled over coronavirus concerns. It was supposed to begin next week on March 13th. Tune in this Sunday morning for State of the Union. My guests include the United States Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams, plus 2020 presidential candidate, Senator Bernie Sanders. That's at 9 a.m. at noon on Sunday, only on CNN. You can follow me on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Stay healthy this weekend. See you next Sunday. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 